Bible tells us that we just came through the most significant week in all of history. And today we stand on the cusp of a brand new week, a week of hope. Now the Bible tells us all of that in the Gospels. Traditionally we think of the Gospels as the good news. That's exactly what Gospel means. And in our tradition we would say that the only place where the Gospel, the good news of Jesus is recorded, is in the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're not wrong for believing that, not at all. But the truth is, and this might be a bit of a shock to some of you, those are not the only Gospels. Those are not the only Gospels. But I'm going to reserve that part for the end of the message. Let's just focus right now on what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about this most significant week. If we were to take all four of those books, put them together, here's what we would find. There are 89 chapters in the four Gospels. 29 of those 89 chapters focus on the last week of Jesus' life. Fully one-third of those four books are dedicated to one week, the most significant week in all of history. Now, history would record that there was a battle raging during that last week of Jesus' life. And history would say that that battle was between the Jews and Jesus. But it wasn't. It was between God and Satan. And it was being fought for you and for me, for our souls. That's why that battle raged. It was over your soul. I want us to get into that last week this morning. Now, we don't have enough time to walk all the way through it, so I want us to focus on just three highlights. I'll point them out to you as we go through this. Hopefully, you have your Bible with you. The first highlight that I want you to see is a meal. It happened on Thursday, the day before Jesus died. It was a special meal, yet at the exact same time, a common meal. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Join me in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, we're going to start in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now all of that happened at this special meal called Passover. Now if you're not familiar with the Passover meal, it's in the Jewish faith, the Hebrew world, called a Seder. The Seder was instituted by God so that the Jewish people, the Hebraic people, would remember the Exodus. Moses leading the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And one particular part of that experience is captured in the Seder. That's when the angel of death passed over all of the houses and those that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, on the door frame of the house, the angel of death went on by. But those that didn't paid a dramatic price. They lost the firstborn male of their entire family, every one of them. And it didn't matter the age. They all died. So God said, you have this feast every year so that you remember this. And the Jewish people took it very, very seriously, as well they should have. But did you catch what Jesus said to the disciples? Look again, take a look at verse 15. He said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now what an interesting statement from Jesus. This is a common meal. They do this every year. Every year they celebrate the Passover, but Jesus said this one, this one's different. I have earnestly desired, some translations, and maybe you're holding one that reads like this, say, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Now what made this one so special? It may very well be that it's nothing more than what Jesus just detailed. I will not have this meal again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus may have been saying, it's going to be 2,000 plus years before I eat this meal again. So I am really looking forward to sharing this meal with you because it's my last one for a long time. If I were to invite you to my house and say, hey, we're going to eat a, a nice steak dinner and there's going to be potatoes there and homemade bread and we're going to cap it off with a, a wonderful homemade apple pie and it's going to be my last one for somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000, maybe 3,000 years, you can bet it's going to be a really good steak. You can bet that we're going to pour all of our effort into that. It will be special. Maybe that's why Jesus made that statement. I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you because it's going to be a long time 
before I do this again. But maybe, just maybe, and I'd ask you for a little bit of grace to say this, it's because Jesus knew that he was going to elevate this particular meal. My wife and I, every once in a while, I probably shouldn't confess this, but we, we like to watch cooking shows. Maybe some of you do too, and, but, but we do. Things like guys' grocery games. It's just kind of a fun way to check out of reality and every once in a while say, hey, let's try that. But in these cooking shows, from time to time, the host will say, we want you to make a certain type of meal, but you have to elevate that meal. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You have to elevate a meal. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You've heard that before. Well, you may not be completely aware of what it means to elevate a meal. So let me show you the definition. And this is just from some random website. doesn't even bear mentioning. Here it is. You elevate street food by using more expensive ingredients and serving them in a luxurious ambiance. That's what it means to elevate a meal. So a lot of times in these cooking shows, they might be making street tacos or they might be making hot dogs, and the host will say, I want you to elevate the street taco. I want you to elevate the hot dog. Well, this morning, we're not here to talk about elevating street tacos or hot dogs, but I do want to say these world-renowned chefs that think that they've really come up with something groundbreaking in the elevation of a meal stole it. They stole it right out of the Bible. They took it from Jesus because Jesus is the original one to elevate a meal. And this record that we just went through is a perfect example of how he did it, how he elevated a common, though special, meal. He took it up a notch. And he used both elements, ambiance and ingredients, to do it. Now let's, let's just start with the ambiance part of that. Did you catch that Jesus wanted to make sure that they celebrated this Passover meal in a specific place? That's ambiance. So he told two of his disciples, I want you to go into Jerusalem and I want you to find that place and here's how you're going to do it. This is an incredible detail in the Gospels. He said, I want you to go into Jerusalem and you find a man carrying a water jar and you follow him, and then you tell him that I sent you, and he'll lead you right to the right place. Now here's why that detail is so special. In Jerusalem during those days, men didn't carry water jars. Tens of thousands of people lived in Jerusalem, and these two guys were supposed to go in and look for a man carrying a water jar. For us, we might say, are you kidding they have to go out of town to get their water. Everybody does. So you want us to find one person carrying a water jar? And Jesus would have said, yes, but here's the deal. Look for a guy that's doing it. There's going to be a whole bunch of women carrying water jars. You look for a man, and he's going to stand out because men didn't carry water jars. So that's how this elevation begins. But then there's another detail that is included in what we just read. He said, you go to the upper room, it'll be furnished. You make sure that it's furnished. I'm not looking for just any spot. You go to this upper room and you make sure that it's furnished and you make sure that it's ready for us and you make sure that it has a table where we'll be able to recline together. He is elevating the ambiance. 
So Jesus is already taking this whole thing to a different level. We're not just going to celebrate the Seder. We are really going to celebrate the Seder. That's what he's saying. It's going up another level or two. But I don't want you to hang out too long with the ambiance. Though it is special, the Bible calls it out, so it's special. I want you to pay attention to how he elevates the meal. Let's go back in. These are the special ingredients that Jesus uses. Verses 19 and 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So he took the common ordinary Seder meal, which if you're unfamiliar with it, let's just walk through that too. Here are the six elements of the Seder meal. There's matzah, which is unleavened bread, the shank bone of a lamb. Everybody gets a shank bone of a lamb to chew on. There's an egg either baked or hard boiled, bitter herbs, the harrow set, a paste that is made out of fruit and nuts, symbolizes the mortar that was between the bricks that the Israelite people had to use to build things in Egypt. That's what the haroset was for. And then there was the karpas, which was vegetables. Now that's a pretty good name. I like the Hebrew name for vegetable because it kind of captures what vegetables taste like. Karpas. That's all it is. Big old salad. It's just give me a bowl of carpus. That's, that's what that is. These are the six symbolic foods of the Passover meal. And each one, each one is very significant. I encourage you to take a picture of that so that you can go home and study all of the elements. It doesn't take very long. You can just Google it so that you can see what each one stands for. If you're on the church app, they're already on there. You can utilize that as a guide to go back and research these. But if you don't have that, take a picture real quick. And then we're going to show you a picture of what the Seder plate looks like. There it is. That's the Seder plate. Common, ordinary meal. And then Jesus said, I'm taking this up a notch. And I'm going to do it with my body and with my blood. This is my body given for you. This is my blood given for you. Now, are you familiar with how those two things happen. Jesus gave it to the disciples before it had actually taken place. So they had to wonder, but are you familiar with how he actually gave his body and his blood? If you're not, this is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 27. We'll start in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put, him in, or put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, 
They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The first highlight that I wanted you to see happened on Thursday. It was this meal where Jesus was telling them about what was to come. The second highlight actually helped them understand what he meant at the meal when he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. This is my blood spilled out for you. Now they understood these elevated ingredients. Now they understood what Jesus was talking about. And oh my, were these ever special ingredients. They had at least four reasons or four things that made them special. Take a look. They cause everyone who recognizes them to take a look at who God is. Psalm 86 verse 5 tells us that God desires that. They cause us to remember Jesus. Luke chapter 22 verse 19. That's, that's why Jesus said, I want to give these to you that you might remember me. They cause us to anticipate the future. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. When we take communion, we're saying, I believe in Jesus and I'll keep believing until he comes back. That's my paraphrase of it. And they link us in community. Luke chapter 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Do you remember the disciples at the Last Supper trying to figure out who would betray the Lord? And then from there they tried to figure out who was the greatest? They link us together in community. Communion does that for us. The Lord's Supper links us together with other people. 
Now, in both of those situations, Jesus had to work them through it. But when the church comes together in community to participate in the Lord's Supper, there is an elevation that happens. It's a pretty cool one, actually. It's a very cool one. So Jesus says, here we are with this common Seder Passover meal that we participate in every year. And I am eagerly anticipating this one. Maybe because it's my last for a while, but maybe because I know what I'm about to give you. I know what's about to happen here. And he gives them his supper to go with it. Now, listen to me. Listen really close. He gave it to us too. It is not just the disciples that are called on to participate in the Lord's Supper and to participate in it for the same reason that we might always remember. That isn't the only group of people that were given this gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 would tell us, and the Apostle Paul is the one who's presenting this years after Jesus died, that we are to continue on with this elevated meal for the same purpose that we can remember what Jesus has done for us. At Libby Christian Church, we participate in communion every week. And we, we do it because the Lord told us to do that. And we do it so that we can always remember Him. This morning, we're going to push pause in this message. This isn't, we're not done. We're going to push pause in this message. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper together but we're going to elevate it just a bit. Here's what I mean by that. We have ordered communion cups in, made out of olive wood from Bethlehem. So we ordered these in so that everyone could take communion at an elevated level, another level that we're going to crank it up. The guys are going to come and serve this to you in in just a minute. And there's a plastic cup that this sits in The bread is in the plastic cup, so pull the wood cup out, and the bread will be found there, and the juice is in this olive wood cup from Bethlehem. Our desire is for you to take that home with you. Place it somewhere in your house that when you look at it, you will always remember. You will always remember the bitter side of what Jesus did for us because here's the the fifth element of this elevated meal with Jesus. These ingredients are bitter until they're sweet. They are bitter until they are sweet. And on a day like today, as we look back at the week that we just came through and recognize the crucifixion and all that it means, it it seems kind of bitter to recognize that Jesus did this for us. But I'll show you how it turns sweet in just a minute. For now, we want to invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, grateful for this meal and all that it means to us. Thank you, Father, for this. Thank you for your body and your blood. Lord, I appreciate the way it is connected to the Passover that is so significant. But this just elevates it and it shows us how the angel of death passes over every one of us that has trusted in you that has allowed our lives to be covered by the blood of the Lamb, by your blood. Help us, Lord, never to forget. In fact, more than that, 
Help us to always remember how much you love us. These next moments, Lord, they're, they're special to us. I pray you'll block all distractions and allow us to see the holiness of what we are doing. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, take those cups home with you. Place them somewhere so that when somebody comes, maybe to your house or into your office, wherever you might put it, and they ask you about that cup, you tell them about that cup. You tell them about what that means. Now, hopefully you remember a couple of things that I said. The first one is this, that there was a battle that was being waged in heaven or the heavenly realm. It was between God and Satan, and it was was over our souls, my soul and your soul. And that battle, boy, it hit a pinnacle the week before Jesus died. It was raging. It was raging over us. And on Saturday, when Jesus was in the grave, it would appear that Satan might have won, at least he believed he had. He'd have been walking around beating his chest, saying, yeah, I got him, I got him. No redemption will come. There is no hope. Jesus will never, ever be able to do all that he said he would do. But he was wrong. He was wrong. You remember that last statement I made about these ingredients that so elevated the Seder meal? Here it is. Those ingredients of communion are bitter until they turn sweet. Well, that last week of Jesus' life, it it ended in bitterness. Jesus died on the cross and he was placed in the tomb and the devil thought he had had won the victory. But Sunday was coming and a new week was coming and resurrection was coming. I like the way a meme that I saw on Facebook captures this. I saw it Friday morning as all of this was running around in my head and man, it just kind of drove the whole point home. Take a look at this. Darkness fell. His friends scattered. All hope seemed lost. That happened on Friday But heaven just started counting to three. Isn't that great? Heaven just started counting to three. I can picture it in my mind this way. Jesus is coming off the cross and he's laid in the tomb and the devil is taunting God and he's taunting all of God's people and God's just going, that's one. That's one. And on Saturday when he's walking around in the heavenly realm really crowing about what happened, there's God saying, that's two. And then on the the morning of the third day, resurrection happened. And hope came to all the world. One of the cool details is the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, graves were opened and the bodies of the Old Testament saints were seen walking around. Can't you imagine God looking at the devil saying, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And since Jesus died and came out of the grave, the bodies of Every or the souls of every New Testament saint have joined him in heaven. And the Lord has the ability to say, what are you going to do with that? That's three. That's three. Now, if you're not familiar with what all that looked like, let me show it to you. This is Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Jesus had come out of the grave. And even though politically they would try to present a story that said his body had been stolen, 2,000 years later, we know what happened. Jesus came out of the grave. And those elevated ingredients of his body and his blood have taken on a brand new meaning in the lives of every believer because it means, this is what they mean, they mean that Jesus' victory over death promises us victory over death. Jesus' resurrection promises us resurrection. And it doesn't just promise us resurrection and victory, it promises us eternal relationship with our God with our Father and with our Savior. And my friends, that's what Easter's about. And that's how those bitter ingredients turn sweet. That's how the victory is won in the battle. That's how God does it. And that's why we're here this morning. And that's why there are other Gospels. Now listen to this. That's why there are other Gospels that promise us the same, the exact same things that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do? These other Gospels tell us, don't you ever forget. Now let me show you what I'm talking about. We've got to go to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. The Apostle Paul is the author of this. Not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The Apostle Paul. And he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. When he says my gospel, all he's saying is the things that he has written that contain the good news of Jesus Christ. That's his gospel. And if somebody brings to you the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are bringing you the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there have been multiple gospels since the the time that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written it. Gospel simply means good news. And the good news is that because of Jesus and all that he did for us and the way that he elevated the Passover meal and the fact that he did it for all of us, that is good news that lasts forever. Forever. And dare we ever forget that the Bible tells us to remember always what he has done for us. I want to leave you this morning with that thought. You remember what he has done for us.